Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Kent Sona, VP and CIO at Methodist Health System. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this segment, Sona talks about how his team is working with Oracle Cerner to improve efficiencies for both patients and providers, particularly around discharge and registration. The critical piece when it comes to social determinants and how they're partnering with the community to address it, and why he believes coming up with ideas is only the first step in driving innovation. Thanks so much for uh, putting aside time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, I was going to start just by asking for kind of a high-level overview of the organization, where you're located, what you have in terms of hospitals, things like that. Okay. So uh, we're located in Nebraska. We're in Nebraska Methodist Health System. Uh, we have four hospitals and 34 clinic locations. Uh, our four hospitals are Methodist Hospital, Methodist Jenny Edmondson Hospital, Methodist Women's Hospital, which is really focused on women's health and labor and delivery, you, et cetera. Then we have uh, Methodist Fremont Health. Uh, we do about 28,000 discharges a year, about 46,000 surgeries, 670,000 clinic vis visits. We do have uh, a little over 1,200 students tied to a nursing and allied health college that's attached to our system. And then we do also run a distribution company in four states here for medical distribution on linens and, and different equipment. Okay, so pretty extensive there. And what would you say are, are really your primary areas of focus? So from a technology perspective, you know, our primary areas of focus are around consumerism is one, security is another for 2023, and then really efficiencies uh, within the system. And I know today, I think we wanted to focus a little bit on the uh, consumerism side of it. But yeah, those are kind of our, our areas. There are five pillars that the system focuses on uh, that I can mention if that would help. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into that. But can you talk a bit about um, efficiencies and what you're trying to do there? So from an efficiency perspective, uh, we have some solutions that we're putting in place called capacity management, mm -hmm. uh, working with our, our partnership with Cerner. Basically what that does is it gives us like discharge progression boards. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows the nurses to more quickly see what are the barriers to discharge for our patients. They can then um, select things. We can get patients discharged a lot more quickly. They have a, a percentage that they're after. They want to have so many patients discharged uh, prior to noon and so many discharged prior to 10 a.m. So it improves the patient satisfaction. They're not stuck there all day waiting. Um, and it's some efficiencies for the nurses. They're not having to dig everywhere to see stuff. They have these nice big boards that they can reference. Uh, as we continue to expand out that capacity management, it's really being able to effectively leverage all the resources in our system as far as where capacity is at. Maybe we have one hospital that's in the red because it's full, but another hospital that might be green and we can leverage shifting some patients around for better quality of care from a resource availability perspective. So that's another area we're looking at. And then another area for efficiencies is centralizing some of the functions. So like centralized nursing, centralized telemetry, we're looking at opportunities to have a central location where a number of resources are there and available. Then they could do remote visits into the patient rooms and maybe go over patient medication education, things of that nature, where then the nurses on the floor can focus on the bedside care. So it just helps us be a little more efficient. You can use that workforce from a central location 
to provide those services to all of our all of our hospitals. Okay. We're talking about some of the nursing efficiencies and what's being done there. And I imagine that that's something that's really always part of the strategy to make their work easier, um, however possible. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that's part of the strategy here at the system. So earlier I talked about those uh, five pillars for our strategic priorities. Uh, one of those in, is investing in our people. So the tools and the solutions to make them more efficient and to make their, their lives better, their jobs easier. Uh, another of our strategic priorities is to enhance our quality care. Also want to grow our anchor service lines, support our future innovation, and then partner within our communities. Those are really our, our five pillars that we're focused on for 2023. Okay. And going back to some of what you were talking about with, with efficiencies, aside from the clinical side, that also comes back to uh, consumers and really improving the experience. Correct. And some of the things that we're doing on the consumer side, like the pre-registration, the remote check-in, um, we've rolled that out here just recently, and we're continuing to develop and evolve that as we get feedback from our patients on what they like, what they don't like, but it gets away from the paper clipboard, allows them to use their uh, mobile devices to go ahead and take pictures of their insurance cards, get all that done before they actually come into the clinic. And as well, it stores that information. So when they come in, they don't have to answer all the same things again. They can just say either nothing's changed or just update the items that have changed, uh, which has been a, a patient satisfier. We're also looking at pre and post digital care plans. So we've rolled out a system within our hospitals, which we call our infotainment system, which does a lot of inpatient edu education and engagement. Uh, it's kind of like an interactive television, like you'd see maybe at a hotel. We're taking that a step further now in these pre and post digital care plans, really educate the patients on what to expect pre coming into the hospital. So maybe they're coming in for a surgery, uh, we want to educate them on what to expect, what to bring, you know, what's going to happen. Then when they show up in the hospital, uh, they have their procedure. And then when they leave the hospital, again, the education picks back up on the post to let them know, you know, what to watch for. Here's some of the exercises you should be doing and just really gets the patients more engaged in their care for better quality, better outcomes. Because um, we feel, you know, the more comfortable our patients are about an upcoming procedure, it really helps put them at ease for what's going to happen, and it helps build the trust between the patients and our providers in that long-term relationship with the patients. Yeah. And then another area kind of around that as well, we're really focusing in 2023 on collaborating with partners in our community as well around social determinants of health. We're really looking at ways that we can streamline sharing and integrating data for better outcomes and visibility on that, continuity of care, removing barriers to care. Caring for patients for us uh, here at Methodist, it's not just about their time in the hospital or in the clinic, but really caring for that whole person. So their quality of life. We do the healthcare part very well, uh, but we rely on partnerships in our community where we don't have the expertise and we want to improve the overall health of the community by the way we care, educate, and innovate. Uh, so we want to leverage those partnerships for the better outcomes. Right. And there's probably a pretty wide variety when you're talking about some of the community partners, whether it's different organizations or food services, and a lot has to be coordinated there. Yeah. And that's where here locally, you know, we have our HIE. So we partner with Sync Health for sharing some data. We have our EMR, which is Oracle Cerner for sharing some data. Uh, and then there's Unite Us or Unite US. They have Unite Nebraska, Unite Iowa. 
since we cover both those states with our hospitals. Uh, and they have a strong partnership with United Healthcare. So what we're looking at there is we brought everyone together collectively to start the discussions about, you know, how do we share all this data a lot better? How do we leverage a partner like Unite US where we can hand off, hey, this person, you know, maybe maybe their heat has been shut off or they don't have housing or they don't have adequate food and let them be the experts in that area where they have all those partnerships and relationships already. But then again, once they do find it or if they don't find it, how do they close the loop back to us so that we can see the data within our system? Because again, our providers are really worried about that whole person health, not just the health care within the clinics and the hospital. We want to make sure that the people are very well taken care of in the community. Yeah. So as far as the uh, infrastructure that had to be in place, I guess that that's where you talked about the HIE and, and EHRs, but can you talk a bit more about kind of what has had to happen to really make sure that these connections are there between the different partners? So it's really around the collaboration and communication. So um, it's bringing all the partners together to have the conversations about, you know, how do we share data today? You know, we have ADT feeds, uh, we have different ways we're sending data and some of that still needs to continue to be real time. Then you have like Commonwealth and Care Quality, like Epic and Cerner and those organizations use to share data between health systems. So what we were doing is working with our HIE to provide that data through that same mechanism. So that way, as data comes into our EMR, our providers see it right there with, within their workflow. And it's a lot of data. So Cerner's working on a product, Oracle Cerner's working on a product to provide just the right amount of data uh, mm-hmm. for our providers so they don't have to sift through a whole bunch of noise. It's called seamless exchange, and that's going to be coming out here shortly. So our providers will really be looking forward to that. And then if we can get that data from our HIE in there as well, that'll be great. Then on the social determinants of health, we look at how are we collecting this data up front from our patients. There's a number of different questionnaires throughout our organization. So we start looking at how do we standardize on that? And then what is the method we're going to use to collect it? And that's where we're, we're going to probably leverage our pre-registration, um, that remote check-in capability. We could have a questionnaire that we build within there that allows people to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that will tie it right into our EMR. Then through the same type of data sharing through APIs, we could actually share that information with Unite Us or another partner in that space. Then they could take that information and help those individuals find housing or food or whatever that might be, and then send data back to us to close the loop on, were they able to get them housing? Where are they located now? Things of that nature. Yeah. And that, I imagine, is is a huge satisfier for patients and families, but also for providers in just knowing that you know, the care is continuing when they leave the office. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing we hear from our providers and staff today is we have counselors that reach out and try to coordinate now, but they don't have the relationships like some of these other organizations do because it's not our, our primary area. But the providers, the caregivers get a little frustrated because that loop's never closed. They don't see it within the EMR. So part of this is really getting the data back in and then, and then making it visible so that our providers can actually see that, oh yeah, the loop was closed. I know this person's been taken care of um, yeah. because it goes, like we said, beyond healthcare. They really care about the people overall. Right. And one of the other initiatives I had seen was the um, virtual care platform and specifically uh, the live streaming with uh, NICU parents and families. And this is something that that's a huge 
huge satisfier. I'm actually a former NICU mom myself. So having that would have just been such a huge difference maker. But can you talk about kind of how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. We actually had a, a really generous donor that offered up funds to do something in that space, especially for the NICU parents and family that couldn't see the little ones uh, while they're being cared for. So we, we went to RFP and we looked at a number of solutions. We selected the solution to put in because we thought it was a great use case, especially at our women's center where, where we focus on uh, women's health and we have our huge NICU and we care for a ton of babies in the region. So that was very successful. We rolled out a product called Angel Eye and uh, it's been a huge hit. Patients love it. Our, our medical staff loves it. There's just great feedback. So uh, it's been a great solution. Yeah. Okay. So with a lot of these different initiatives, it seems like one of the keys also is really having strong partnerships with the vendors. Just wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on, on what it takes to create and maintain that relationship where both parties are getting what they need. Yeah. So vendor partnerships is truly that it's a partnership. It's not them and us, it's mm -hmm. we. And that's what I always preach to my staff. And that's what I talk about with our vendors, right? For me, we have our IT division and our vendors are an extension of the IT division. So if there's a, an issue that comes up, we all get on the same bridge call. We work through it collectively because there's things we can see on our side. There's things they see on their side. Uh, and that's how you can come to resolution very quickly. We take ownership of the platforms. We never point the finger. Uh, we focus very heavily on teamwork and collaboration. Communication is a big piece of it. Uh, I often reference one team as we all come together. But through that, then we have monthly or quarterly meetings where we sit down and we go over roadmap sessions with our vendor partners to say, you know, what are you guys seeing out there in the marketplace? Is there anything we should be aware of? What do you guys have on your roadmap? What are you working on for innovative future solutions on your platform? Uh, we share with them things we're looking to do uh, within our organization. Maybe they can help us out or challenges that our businesses brought forward that maybe they could help with. Uh, we talk about our roadmap and where we're heading. So it's really that open, honest communication, very straightforward. Sometimes the news isn't nice to share and, and mm -hmm. you just got to be honest and, and to the point. And that really helps strengthen, build that trust and you expect it in return. So I always say, I don't always want to get a sales pitch. I want to really think about how we come together. You're part of the team and how do we, how do we solve problems for the providers and for the patients? Yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine that for both sides, how you respond to challenge is, is such a big thing for establishing trust. Absolutely. Yeah, if I can't get a vendor on our bridge with us where we can work through it, then I start second thinking that vendor because that's really part of that partnership, right? You got to realize that there's lives at stake and you, know, you want to make sure that things are up and running all the time and that there is no problems. Yeah. And going back to one of the pillars, you talked about innovation and what are some of your thoughts kind of on, on what it takes to foster that? It's not something that I'm sure can be forced, but some of your thoughts there on, on what that takes. So innovation is just a lot of idea gathering, a lot of good communication. So as, as we think about ideas, uh, solutions that could help the business, we put them in front of the business. We always encourage the business to think about ways that they could do processes differently or more efficient or let us know what challenges they're facing so we can come up with creative solutions to solve that. So 
really it's getting in the mindset of kind of the why and the how can you solve something versus, oh, that's how we've always done it, or that's just not going to work. We can't, we can't do anything about that. So it's really just kind of driving that different way of looking at, I call them opportunities, and then how can we get innovative around them? And here at Methodist, we've got a great leadership team that's got behind that. We've actually created a, a small innovation center up on the third floor in our IT area where, where we can bring in new products. Like we talked a little bit about discharge progression boards was a good example um, where it was new, it was different. And we were able to actually set it up in that innovation space. And we had nurses from all the different areas come sit down and we had Oracle Cerner there and we had our IT team, uh, some of our resources here locally from our team there. And the nurses were talking about what would add value and what they would like to see. And on the fly, they were modifying that discharge progression board so they could see it real time and see the value it could add. And then they were able to take that back to their teams, that excitement that, that, hey, this is new, this is going to be different, but it's going to be great. Those are the kind of ways you drive innovation. And it really is about getting the business engaged, letting them really drive it. You're just coming to them with options, solutions, ways to make things better. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the shiny tools all the time, but exactly. focusing first on something like capacity management or, or discharge and making that process better. Absolutely. We have patient family advisory committees, just like we have a Cerner Physician Advisory Committee. And those committees are invaluable, right? These, these people volunteer their time and they, they share great feedback and information with us. Um, that's how a lot of these these solutions that we've kind of put in front of the business get set out there. It's, it's feedback directly from the patients of what they'd like to see. Simple things like I'd like to be able to pay my bill online or from my app. Um, I'd like to be able to do remote check-in. Things like that, then we, we bring forward. The business is aware and everyone gets on board and we, and we deliver. Yeah. Yeah. You make it sound simple. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was always simple. It's, right. it's not without its ups and downs, but I mean, if you keep a positive attitude, um, anything's yeah. possible. Right. Right. And, you know, everybody wants to be, they want to be heard. They want to know that, you know, if they have feedback, that it's going to go somewhere and that that's, Absolutely. that's a difference maker too, I think. Absolutely. So as far as your, your own career, you've been with the organization in the CIO role since 2018. Yeah. In the CIO role since 2018, I think. I've been here at Methodist for about six years now overall. Okay. I started out as a director of infrastructure and then moved into the CI world. Okay. And I would guess that that having that time in the infrastructure role is something that's really benefited you just as far as really getting to know the organization. And I'm sure you've been able to draw on that experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think back in my career, even back, so I spent nine years in the army, in the military. Um, I started out as a combat medic, uh, and I did work at a hospital as a patient care tech and a phlebotomist uh, while I was in the guard at first before I went full active duty. So I do have that, that medical background back when we were doing paper charting and everything like that. So I was a combat medic in the Army for five years. Uh, then I switched over to IT after deployment to Bosnia because I noticed that the IT guys were always like on base camp. They had phones to call home every night. I was like, hey, uh, that's the job I want. Plus, I had kind of an interest in the technology. Yeah. So I switched to IT. And then from there, uh, when I got out of the military, I landed a job working you know, within um, telecommunications. 
So I've, I've ran IT operations centers, I've ran network teams, I've ran development teams. So I got a lot of great experience in the civilian sector. And then when the opportunity came up at Methodist to bring it all together, it was just a perfect fit. And the culture here is phenomenal. The leadership team, just the way everyone collaborates, works together, is open to new ideas. It's just been a wonderful fit. Okay. And that answered uh, one of the things I wanted to ask was as far as getting into the, the provider side. And when you did make the decision to you know, come to Nebraska Methodist, had you been in touch with or you know, had you worked with the former CIO to kind of get to know the processes and the organization, things like that? Not prior to coming on board, but I think that helped me when I came on board as the director of infrastructure, mm-hmm. I was working for our CIO. Right. So, you know, that first year and a half or so that I worked for him, it really helped me get, he was a provider. So it really helped get that tie in. And then I have a great CMIO, Dr. Huttiger. He's wonderful to work with. And he really helps bridge that gap as well with the providers. But yeah, it's been great. They reach out to me all the time. Dr. Ayub recently was reaching out to me to attend some meetings that he has to, to help share information. So it's been, it's been just great open great relationships here. Yeah. And as far as uh, that time with the army, I always think it's interesting when I speak with people who've had military experience, because I like to ask, you know, if there's anything that you took from that, that's helped you today. And there always is. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd say calm under fire. When I first started at Methodist in my previous role, you know, when a critical incident went off, everyone kind of was all over the place. It was like, Oh my goodness, you know, so I was like, relax, you know, it's not the end of the world. And just being able to organize it and coordinate it, get everyone on a bridge, just some basic blocking and tackling was huge. Uh, And then AARs. So another thing I brought with me from the military was the after action review. So anytime we did have an issue, uh, we do an AAR. What went right? What went wrong? How do we prevent it from happening again next time? And through that process over the years, where we used to have 40 incidents a year, pretty significant ones. Now we have maybe three. So it's been a huge difference. And the the team has responded phenomenally and they just run with it now. They do a great job and it's been night and day. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm pretty sure that you had mentioned investing in people before as one of the pillars. And um, tools and training. We got to make sure we're, we're investing in our resources. Yeah. Kind of beyond that, once you have people, what do you think is really the some of the keys to getting the most from people and really kind of helping them to really leverage their abilities? I think it's really understanding the why. Our mission to improve the health of our community by the way we care, educate, and innovate, that really kind of drives the why. Everybody remembers why we're here, why we're doing it. Uh, we often joke that you don't come into healthcare to get rich. You know, you don't get the big bonuses. But it's really the mission that drives our people. It's, you know, taking care of those in our community. And even from an IT perspective, everything that we do is in support of those that are on the front lines taking care of people. So we just continue to reiterate the why. Um, When people can really see that, you know, what they're doing is delivering value to to lives, it really keeps them engaged and uh, excited about, about what they do. They get tons of offers from other organizations technology companies, a lot more money, but I was telling them the grass isn't always greener. Remember the why. Uh, and oftentimes people, people stay, they love the culture 
and they love what we do. So, yeah. And I know that this may depend on, on different situations, but what do you think are some of the, the qualities that, that you really find to be valuable in people who, who may be future leaders at some point, but what, what are the qualities you're really looking for? So the qualities I look for um, are integrity. So honesty, openness, you know, even if you make mistakes, be honest about it, open. That's how we learn and we get things fixed quickly. Good communication skills. Nobody likes to have to go follow up and say, hey, I want to follow up on this. Where are we at? Just to mm-hmm. be have someone that's a really good communicator and keep you abreast of everything. Uh, and then team player uh, would be the other big one. And not only team player, but taking ownership. That's one of the big things I work with with my leaders uh, is owning stuff. Even if it's not our area, so to speak, if yeah. someone reaches out to us, own it own it and run with it. And then at some point, if you have to hand it off, hand it off, but then close the loop. It makes a huge difference versus just kicking the can over to the next person. People get stuck in vicious loops that way. So we often find ourselves owning a lot of new stuff in IT because we're willing to take ownership and do that. But it's good then things get fixed, things get solved, and it makes the organization a lot better. Yeah. Okay. So last thing I wanted to ask was when you think about the direction of the industry, where things are going, what would you say excites you most? It can be as a CIO or, you know, as an individual, but what, what are you really excited about with how things are going? You know, the thing that excites me the the most is uh, the innovation around healthcare. There is so much more that can be done. There's so much more that we can do from like a remote perspective and, you know, as awful as COVID was, it really opened a lot of that up. So I'm excited to see that future of healthcare and really see, you know, where we can take it. A lot of great ideas from the business, a lot of things that will need partners like Oracle Cerner, other partners out there that will continue to drive. But I, th- I think there's going to be some huge changes to the typical brick and mortar type of healthcare we see today, uh, with some of the centralization, some of the outreach. Sometimes I joke with people and say, you know, you watch Little House on the Prairie and Doc Baker rolls up to the Ingalls house and he gets out to see Laura. We're coming back to that one day. Mm. People want that care in their home and we should be able to deliver it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.